Would you go to Hebrews, please, the third chapter this evening? Are you believing God with me? Again, please, I would ask you to. I haven't gone exactly this way before. And so we're believing God for every step, of course. And if you weren't with us this morning, you might want to get the uh, CD or DVD, whatever it is, and get caught up because it's a foundation for what we'll be continuing this evening. Hebrews, the third chapter, and the uh, seventh verse, Hebrews 3, 7, he says, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says, today, if you will hear his voice, what should you not do? Harden not your hearts. As in the provocation, like they did in the day of the temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation. Now, what were they doing that grieved him? They were hardening their hearts. And there were other things connected with that, but that was the root of it. I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be what? Hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we're made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said today, if you will hear his heart, harden not your hearts. That's the third time. As in the provocation. And then we saw in the fourth chapter and the seventh verse, he repeated it again. Again, he limited a certain day saying in David, today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do what? Harden not your hearts. That's four times in just, you know, a page or so here. Harden not your hearts. Harden not your hearts. Harden not your hearts. Harden not your hearts. What should we do? Don't harden your heart. Does this apply to us? Wasn't he talking to believers here? And he was comparing. He said the same thing could happen to you. In fact, he said you need to exhort each other daily. That you don't do this. Now go to Proverbs. We looked at this this morning. Proverbs the 29th chapter. This is such a serious situation. Must be for him to say it so many times. And to say we ought to exhort one another daily. About this. Proverbs 29 reveals why. Verse 1. He. That being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. We saw that with Pharaoh this morning. We saw that repeatedly he hardened himself and hardened his heart. And there came a point where he and his were totally destroyed. Wasn't it? There was a point where you could see. He's not going to change. It wouldn't make any difference if there were a hundred signs and wonders. And every time he got a chance, the scripture said, it was the eighth chapter or so, that when there was respite, 
when he got relief, even though he said he would let God's people go, as soon as there was relief, here he came right back again. No, I'm not going to do it. Defiance. Now that describes many people on the planet today. If they're under the gun, if they're under pressure, if things are coming down on top of them, and they see they get, they get scared that maybe they're not going to make it, well, they'll soften up a little bit and say, okay, you know, I'll change, I'll change. But as soon as the pressure's off, as soon as there is relief, right back to the hardness, right back to, oh, I don't need that. I don't know what I was, I just got emotional and said that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to do that. This hardness is called incurable. And you don't see that in the Bible very often, do you? What did the Bible call without cure? Let me read this to you from other translations like we did this morning. The NIV says, A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes shall suddenly be destroyed without remedy. The uh, God's Word translation says, A person who will not bend after many warnings will suddenly be broken beyond repair. Can't get it fixed. The New Century says, whoever is stubborn after being corrected many times will suddenly be hurt beyond cure. Somebody say corrected. Corrected. Now it didn't say just corrected one time. It said often and many times. You don't get to the point of no cure just by being corrected a time or two. Aren't we thankful for that? Or by being stubborn a time or two. But when you just keep on. And just keep on and keep on. You can get yourself to the place. Where even God himself can't get through to you. And when you get there. There's only one thing remains. Destruction. And it can happen quickly. Suddenly. Without recovery. I know word and faith people don't like to hear this. But we're reading the Bible. This is just as true as Mark eleven twenty three and 24. Right. Yeah. Isn't it? Amen. And, uh, you know, a lot of our folks are more familiar with Mark eleven twenty three than they are with this. <laughs> and there are a lot of folks that have even become defiant in their faith walk. Many people have thought, well, you know, I, I'm righteous, I'm worthy, I'm holy. I've got power, I can do all things, and people get to focusing on that and actually leaving out half of every one of those verses. I know what I'm talking about. So I can do all things. Uh-uh. Through Christ. I'm righteous. Uh-uh. The righteous in Christ. You have His righteousness. They're not only in Him truths. There are in you truths. Let me give you a few of them. In you realities. (laughs) The scripture says, if any man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. You know what you are in yourself? Big old zero. (laughs) Oh, this is going over big, ain't it? Can, Can you tell how big this is? The Bible said, if any man thinks he knows anything. He knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. The Bible said, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 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 You know what you are apart from him? 
Nothing. Nothing. You know what you know apart from him? Nothing. Nothing. You know what you can do apart from him? Nothing. 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 Oh, but aren't you glad you're not without him? You're not without him. He's in you. You're in him. And in him, you can do all things. Hallelujah. In him, you are somebody. But it's only and all together in him. Don't forget those two big, big, big words. In him. In him. He said, let me keep reading this. The English version. Today's English version. If you get more stubborn every time you are corrected, one day you'll be crushed and never recover. There's a place you can get to where you nobody can get through to you. But it, your heart didn't start out that calloused and hard. It got that way over a period of time and a lot of times years by continuing to resist and continuing to refuse correction. This is what grieves the Spirit of God. There's been a lot of conjecture about what grieves the Holy Ghost. And you hear a lot of people say, oh, I grieve the Spirit. Oh, this grieved the Spirit, that grieved the Spirit. I want you to know the Holy Spirit is not flighty. Some people have an idea that the Holy Spirit comes to the service, but he won't come all the way in. He comes at the back door and just looks around (laughs) and goes, I know you're going to do it. I know you're going to do it. Ah, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. And he just, you know, (laughs) it doesn't take much to set him off and he's grieved and he's gone. That is not true. I said, that is not true. I found out ignorance. Doesn't grieve him. We ought to be thankful for that. (laughs) Wouldn't we be in a mess? (laughs) Years ago, one of the very first meetings that Phyllis and I ever did was in a little small church. You know the one where they've got the placard up on the back that shows how many was in attendance and how many is in Sunday school. And... uh, we were there, and this church was not one that preached Acts 2-4, or speaking in tongues, or any of that. And I had been there, had, they invited me there for a week, revival. <laughs> Do you know where I'm at now? And uh, things have been going real good, real good. And I was preaching on more, God has more for you. And man, they were excited. The pastor even came and said, man, I'm excited. I can't wait till you get to that more part. And I thought, yeah, <laughs> I hope you're as happy when we get there. Because I knew where the Lord was taking me. He was taking me to the fullness of the Spirit. And I was, I, the last day of the meeting, I didn't, the Lord dealt with me because I wasn't going to do it. But he dealt with me tonight, preach on Acts 2-4. Hit it hard and strong. Don't hardly stop to take a breath. Just go. Don't be moved by what you see or you hear. I thought, God, you're going to get me kicked right out of this church. They'll probably stand up and just shut me right down. And I mean the whole day. 
I was laboring about it. I, I was walking around outside praying. And, and when I got there, I don't think I heard one song they sang or anything they did because I'm thinking, are you really going to do this? And, and so uh, we, uh, they turned it over to me. And before I chickened out, I said, turn to Acts 2-4. And I mean, <laughs> I just, I was like a machine gun, man. I, you know, I, I didn't even want to look at anybody. I certainly didn't look at the pastor. I didn't look at the deacons. I, ju- I just preached Acts 2-4 and uh, uh, gave an altar call. And nobody came. <laughs> I said, if you believe this uh, Pentecostal experience is for you today, then get up while they sing and come down here. We'll pray for you. You'll be filled with the Spirit and speak in other tongues, just like in the book of Acts. Sing it again. <laughs> they sang it again. Nothing happened. Nobody moved. Nobody peeped. I said, sing it again. Sing it again. So they sang it again. I must have sung it five, ten times. And, and I said, uh, this is for you. If you believe this, if you believe this scripture, if you believe what we've talked about this evening, then get up. Come down right now. We'll pray for you. Finally, one brave sister got up and made her way down the aisle, and we, uh, she didn't know what to do. You know, normally they came down there and shook hands. <laughs> but she, as she got close to me, the anointing came on her, and she started crying. Well, you were at the front too, weren't you? Did she, she hug you or me? She hugged Phyllis. She didn't know what to do. While she's hugging Phyllis, she starts talking in tongues and shaking. <laughs> I thought, glory to God. Well, after that, another somebody got up and come. And then another somebody got up and come. And the word of knowledge began to flow. Somebody's here with a problem in their ear. Somebody's here. And so uh, it was called out. Phyllis was calling some things out. And I was doing some things. And uh, one person jumped up and said, that was me. And just interrupted us. We were in the middle of giving out what the Holy Ghost was telling. And just inter- just talked us down. And, and it reminds you of the woman with the issue of blood. Not only did they say they got healed, but they told the whole truth and what they did. <laughs> they said, yeah, you know, my ear has been a bothering me for now on 20 years. And uh, I was in here tonight and couldn't hear a thing. And then all at once I felt something. Yeah. And, and we thought, well, that's great, great. But you just interrupted the Holy Ghost. And I'm, I'm thinking the whole time, oh, the Spirit of God's going to get grieved. We're going to lose. I'm going to lose what I had. Phyllis is going to lose what she had because there was a flow there. There was a lot more that needed to be said and done. And, and I figured, you know, as soon as they got through after their uh, storytelling, this, the anointing came right back, right back. We just picked up kind of mid-sentence where we left off. I thought, whoo, glory to God. And so, so we stayed with it. And then about that time, one of the word of knowledges that had been called out was somebody in the back. They jumped up. And since they saw sister so-and-so do that, they thought they should do that. So they just interrupted us and told their big testimony right there. I mean, just stopped the flow of the Spirit. I thought, well, boy, that's probably it. I mean, this is the second time. And when they got through, the anointing came right back. And we picked up right where we left. This must have happened half a dozen times that night. It was a glorious service. But I learned something that night. The Holy Ghost is not flighty. He's not easily offended. He knew they didn't know what they were doing. They, they didn't know what this was. Uh, he knew they were ignorant. They didn't mean any offense to him. They weren't trying to be disrespectful to him. He was not offended in the least. Now think about this. The great and mighty Holy Ghost is speaking and he lets them interrupt him. And just stops and smiles at them. Till they get through. 
And then he continues what he's doing. Is that grace or is that grace? That is being so gracious and accommodating. It's not ignorance that grieves the Holy Spirit. We just got through reading what grieves the Holy Spirit. Hmm? Hardness of heart. Hardness and a rebellious attitude. That's what grieves him. And it ought to. Nobody has a right to be defiant with him. Look with me in the book of Mark. And let's study this some tonight. Mark the third chapter. Mark chapter 3. This is the story of a, a healing. And in Mark 3. There was the man with the withered hand. Verse 3, Jesus told him to stand forth. Verse 4, Mark 3, verse 4, Jesus said to them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. They wouldn't answer him. This is defiance. Did you hear me? They would not answer him in sullenness. Put yourself in the place now. Back up to verse 1. Jesus entered again to the synagogue and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. Now look at this. Jesus had such a reputation already by this point of healing and mercy That these unbelievers, these scoffers, these proud religious individuals saw this man in the room with a withered hand and they punched each other and said, watch, he'll heal him. Would God believers had that much expectation? (laughs) Think about it. They said, you know, Jesus in the room and a sick person in the room. Yeah, it's going to (laughs) happen. Just watch. Watch it. He'll heal him. But they said it in accusation, in defiance, in rebellion. So Jesus, he perceived their thoughts. He picked up, you know, the hardness that was in the room. How many understand? If you had any heart about you and there was an opportunity for somebody to get their withered hand healed, why shouldn't you just be thrilled if they could get their hand healed? But look what hardness of heart will do to you. Hardness of heart will blind you until you don't even, you can't even identify with somebody that's hurting. Because all you care about is your doctrine. And you being right. In your group. Somebody say hardness. Hardness. Could you see why this grieves the Holy Spirit? Should grieve you. Should grieve me. So he looked at them and he said, is it lawful? Because that was their whole big deal. What was lawful to do on the Sabbath day? And he knows that. And he says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day? Or is it more lawful to do evil? Is it lawful to save life or to kill? And what did they do? They what? Held their peace. You know, on another occasion, when uh, 
Dathan, Korah, and Abiram rose up against Moses and Aaron. And they said, you're not the only ones that's got the Holy Ghost. We have the Spirit too. We hear from God. And Moses immediately became concerned for their well-being. And he called privately for these individuals who were heads in their tribes. He said, come see me. You remember that? And you know what they said? No. We're not coming. How many know this is serious? Do they know that in a few hours they're going to be going down alive into an open earth? This was their last opportunity. Can you see this? But what did they say? No, we don't have to come when you call. Just because you call, we don't jump up and run. I don't know who this Moses thinks he is. He thinks he's the only one to hear from God around here. We hear from God too. Well, they weren't so sassy when they were falling down alive into the earth. How many understand? No matter what they had thought personally about him, you know, you may not always agree. You may not always be able to respect or appreciate everything a person in authority says or does. But you better respect the place. The place. Or else wise, you disrespect the one who placed them. Who put them in the place. And he takes it personally. You know, while they were murmuring against Moses and Aaron, the Lord spoke and said, I hear your murmurings that you murmur against me. I'm sure they thought, oh no, we hadn't been talking about you, God. We are talking about Moses. No, he took it personally. And he still does today. How many of the, remember in the New Testament that uh, when uh, Saul, who later became Paul, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. What did the master say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? Huh? Why are you persecuting my Christians? No. Why are you doing this to me? Didn't he say that? And what's Paul's response? Who are you? I didn't know I was doing anything to you. <laughs> but he learned real quick. And then how many are glad that he didn't get defiant there on the road to Damascus? I believe he stuck his nose in the dirt and he repented. Said, oh, God, forgive me. And he got saved. Hallelujah. And later on, he said, you know, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. He said, but I wound up laboring more abundantly than all of them. And yet not me. It was the grace of God that was in me. Did he change? You got to be correctable. You got to be pliable. Somebody say correctable. Correctable. Say it again. correctable. Correctable. When he says, is it right? To do good or evil on the Sabbath day, is it lawful? To save life or to kill, is it lawful? That's correction to them. They are seeing light. That's why they can't answer. They don't know what to say without making their own self look bad. The truth is shining in their face, but they didn't want to receive it. They refused correction. That statement corrected them, and they refused it. Look at Jesus, and of course, this is the Father in him, and he's the same. He never changes. Verse 5, when he had looked round about on them with what? The master is angry, isn't he? Anger. Why? Being grieved. Why? For the hardness of their hearts. 
And he turns away from them and looks at this guy with the hand. He said, stretch forth your hand. (laughs) And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisee said, oh, Lord, that's real. Look at that. God forgive us. That's what they should have said. Right? They Read it. What did they do? Get this picture now. They have seen a miracle three feet in front of their eyes. They saw this man's hand. They saw it drawn. They saw it withered. They saw it unfold right in front of their eyes. They saw it restored to whole and normal right there in front of them. But did it cause them to change? Or to repent? No. See, a lot of people think, well, show me the power of God. Show me this. It wouldn't change you. You could see the most amazing miracles right in front of your face. And if you wanted to doubt and defy, you could still doubt and defy. Faith is a choice. I said it's a choice. And submission and yieldedness is a choice. It's a choice. Every one of us have to make it. Jesus was angry. Anger came up in him. He looked at them. It grieved him. Why? Because they're so hard. The truth was there. And they wouldn't let it in. A miracle was there. And they wouldn't let it in. That's what hardness is. Hardness is impenetrable. Can't get in. Go over. What is it? To the 10th chapter, I think, of Mark. No, moving too fast. You got any time tonight or not? Huh? Drop by the sixth chapter. It's on your way. (laughs) Mark 6, 51. Jesus went up to them, to the disciples, into the ship. And the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure. And they wondered. For they considered not. The miracle of the loaves. Why? Now this is Jesus' own staff. The own people that's with him. What does it mean they considered it? Considered not. They hadn't put it together. Is another way of saying it. About the miracle of the loaves. For their heart was hardened. Going over to the 8th chapter. And the 14th verse. Don't assume you've already got this, friends. Hmm? Don't assume you'd rather hear something else. Everybody with me tonight now? You told me you was going to help believe with me. Hmm? Some folks are just coasting now. Put her back in gear, okay? All right, clutch it. Put it back in gear. Okay, Put some, give it some gas. Help me out. Verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And Jesus charged them, he said, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves. And they said, it's because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he said to them, why reason ye? Because you have no bread. Perceive ye not? 
neither understand. Have you your heart yet hardened? Having eyes see you not? Having ears hear you not? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves among 5,000? How many baskets full of fragments took you up? They said 12. And when the seven among 4,000? How many baskets full of fragments took you up? And they said seven. And he said, well, how is it that you don't understand? Why are you clamoring about bread? What was their problem? Hardness. They didn't let that miracle in. They didn't let that truth in. And these are people that's virtually living with him. How many know you can be shoulder to shoulder with something great and not let it in? You can be at the same table with wonderful things and not let it in. And not do it maliciously, but you just close yourself. You can smile while you do it. This is much greater than you may see at the moment. The Lord has greater things for all of us. Do you know that? He has the grace, the anointing to enable us to come to our full potential, to operate in our full place. But you got to receive it. You got to let it in. So many things of God are so good that to many people they're just too good. It just seems too good. To many people it just seems too good to be true. Too good that it could be true about me. Too good. And so they think, well, that would be thinking too much of me that God could use me like that. And there are things that God speaks to people's hearts and they won't even receive that it's him. Because they just think, that's too great. That's too big. That's too... So they don't receive it. Sometimes not maliciously, and yet they're still hardening themselves. How many understand these men loved him? They're not forming plans to rebel against him. They love him, and yet they've hardened themselves. There's a hardness here that's preventing things from getting in. The Bible says we have known, and we've believed, we've received the love. That God has for us. His love is so big. It's so great. His plan is so wonderful. We have to submit to it. We have to use our faith. To receive it. He will say things to you. That will blow your mind away. And you'll think. Me? My life? Oh I'm just imagining stuff. That can't be true. But it is true. Hallelujah. Dare to believe his goodness. You know his voice. You don't have to play games with yourself. It's not too good. We're not talking about stuff that just puffs you up. And it makes too much out of you. But he says things to you. That exceed what you've thought about yourself. And you have to receive it. He said to them, he said, what? Why are you debating about this? He takes them back to the miracles. He said, you know, we fed that multitude. How much do we have left over? They said 12 baskets. See, they knew it, but they hadn't let it in. Because it hadn't changed their thinking as to how to operate and how to live. They're still in fear. Aren't they? 
We're going to run out. We don't have enough. He's mad because we're going to run out. And they ought to realize the power of God's been demonstrated. If they just all believe God, they don't ever have to run out again. It's been demonstrated repeatedly. But if you don't let it in, you can be in some amazing experiences and then go back to your little limited life and not let it in. Somebody say, let it in. in. Open up. up. Let it in. in. The 10th chapter of Mark. Let's look at a couple more of these. Mark chapter 10. Verse 2, the Pharisees came and they said, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Tempting him. He answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? He knew that's where they were going anyway. They said, well, Moses suffered. Suffered means he let us, he allowed us to write a bill of divorcement and put her away. And Jesus answered and said to them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote this, uh, wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. They too shall be one flesh. So they no more two, but one flesh. And what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Even though God allowed them this law of divorcement, it was only because of their hardness. The harder your heart is, the more you live in the permissive will of God instead of the perfect will of God. Oh, can you see this? The Lord will allow you to do things that are not his express will. And he'll bless you as much as he can. And you may assume, well, it's, you know, God's pleased with this because he said I could do it. He would let me do it. Just because he let you do it doesn't mean that's his highest and best. I know some years ago, I, there's some things I really thought I wanted to do. And I pled with the Lord, you know, let me do this, let me do this. And, and finally, you know, he said, we'll do it. I don't mean to hurt a voice, but, you know, how many understand that Israel wanted a king? Yes. Right. Remember that? Right. And did he let them have a king? Yes. Did he even tell them which one to pick? But was it his perfect will? No. no. And so I, I did it and it was a problem. And went on and on being a problem. And after three or four things of him letting me do stuff. And me not enjoying it. (laughs) I got on my nose and I said God. I don't want you to let me do stuff anymore. (laughs) I want to know what's your plan. What what do you want? But see you got to be open to that don't you? See a lot of people when what they call prayer is not. They've already made up their mind before they go to prayer. Well, I better pray about this. They go in, walk back and forth, and run die, shun die, untie my bow tie. Yeah, the Lord said to be okay. <laughs> you never heard from him because you, you weren't open to hearing anything else. So you're not even on the same frequency. Your heart has to be willing. Somebody say willing. willing. Has to be open. It has to be correctable correctable now I can sense that everybody's really enjoying this but I got to go on so will you help me out now 
This is for your good. This is for my good. This is for our safety. You must be able to receive correction. I didn't say just stand there and let it bounce off your eardrums. I said receive it. Receive it. Somebody say receive it. Receive. Say it again. Receive, receive the correct. How, how, what does it take to receive correction? You have to humble yourself. You have to keep your heart soft and tender because what does your flesh want to do? Your flesh wants to harden up. Everybody needs correction from time to time. Say that out loud, please. Everybody. How many? Who? Does that include you? When's the last time you got corrected? (laughs) Did you receive it? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Keep going here. What chapter are you in? Go to the 16th chapter of Mark, please. Mark 16. Who needs correction? Everybody. 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 You never get to a place in your life where you've arrived. And you don't need any more correction. Nobody ever does, ever will. But you can, at any point in your life, decide you're not taking any more. Decide you're not receiving anymore. We live in a rebellious society. Have you noticed that? And of course whatever's in the world. Tends to get in the church. And when it's this way around about you. And most everybody you know is this way. You don't notice how bad it is. Because it just seems normal. And we live in a world of folks. I mean in the church. You know, just preaching what I'm preaching tonight is not popular. People don't want to hear that. Talk about prosperity. We want to shout. We want to run the aisles. Huh? Let's talk about healing. Let's talk about miracles. I am talking about miracles. I am talking about prosperity. I am talking about healing. Because again and again and again, we were talking about the Syrophoenician woman this morning. She got her healing for her daughter. She got her deliverance for her daughter. But how many understand when she first came to Jesus, she was not in position to receive. She had to make adjustments. And she had to make another adjustment. And she had to make another adjustment. God is not withholding from us good and perfect gifts. Hmm? The problem is not on the healing end, the provision end, the blessing end. The problem's on the receiving end. And when people are not in position to receive, what needs to happen? Correction. Correction. Somebody say correction. 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 If your life is right, it is a continuous series of small corrections. And if your life is not right, and you get right, then you have to make some big corrections. 
to help make up for all the little corrections you ain't been making. Flying is that way. You take off, you're going to fly from Dallas to, to California to Los Angeles. The autopilot will fly the plane. And it's continuously making little adjustments. Little adjustments so you don't wind up in Oregon. Because the wind is blowing against the plane and different stuff is going on. And uh, the, the autopilot's continually. Now, if you got distracted, the pilot got distracted and... and um, he let the thing get way off course and he's descending out of the clouds and he, he pops out and there's this giant mountain that you're about to fly into. How many would like for him to make a radical correction <laughs> right now? Even if it throws your drink in the floor and pitches you out into the aisle, right? Make that correction because if you don't, you will not have another opportunity to. What's wise? What's wise? Every day of your life that you're walking close to the Lord and He's showing you things in the Word and He's speaking to you through the Scripture and He's speaking to you by His Spirit. He's speaking to you through your ministers and through people around you. And every time you see something, yeah, I need to tweak that a little bit. Yeah, I need to make an adjustment on that. And if you just make little adjustments every day, then you're, you're on the right track. You're right in the middle of the course where you're supposed to be. And you don't have to make these giant radical corrections because you've been making them all along. Yes. Somebody say correction. correction. Is correction a good thing? Yes. Who needs correction? Everybody. Everybody. You know, uh, pastoring now for a few years and and prior to this, the, the Lord's dealt with us at times to give people some correction. and We endeavor to do it in love. But you know, sometimes people just look at you aghast like, you're correcting me? And you won't look at them and say, do you think you don't need any? Do you imagine you have arrived at Christ-like perfection and need no more correction? Say it out loud again. Everybody, everybody. Say, everybody needs correction. Need it. You need it. And the Lord is faithful if you will be open. He will give it to you. He will provide it for you. What's the question? Will you receive it? Will you receive it? Correction shows up something in your life and you're thinking and what you're doing, saying this is not right or not quite right. And when the light shines up, something that's not right in your life, whether it's big or small, you have a choice right now. You look at it, you see it. You either humble yourself and receive it, or you harden yourself and resist it. And you can make, or I can make the wrong choice at any day. Look at this in the 16th chapter. Now, did you just get through seeing Jesus get angry? Did you see that? Do you take that to heart? Did you see him get grieved? Tell me what grieved him, what angered him, what grieved him. Hardness of heart. Grieved him. Angered him. I don't want to grieve him, do you? No. I don't want to anger him. In the 16th chapter. Notice this. In the 16th chapter. The master has raised from the dead. Glory to God. Glory to God. He raised from the dead. And uh, the women. Mary Magdalene. She saw. And uh The women, verse 11, they, well, verse 10, they went and told the men, 
They, when they had heard it, that he was alive and had been seen of her, verse 11, what'd they do? What'd they do? Now let's just stop right here. Is this good news? We've seen the master. He's not in the grave. He's raised from the dead. So what did they do? They said, no, what do you mean? We saw him. He's dead. They said, no, we were there. He's raised. And they wouldn't accept it. Somebody said out loud, wouldn't let it in. Do you think they want to just accept that he's dead and gone and this is the end? No, they don't. But it just seems too good to be true. Can you see this, friends? It just seems too good. And verse 12. After that, Jesus appeared in another form to two of them. As they walked and went to the country. And they went and told it to the residue. So here's some more witnesses of the same thing. And so what did they do now? Neither believed they them. They've got multiple opportunities to believe and they are rejecting it. And these are from credible sources. I mean, why would they believe these guys that they know and trust are just lying to them and just making this up? But they wouldn't let it in. They wouldn't receive it. Afterward, verse 14, when Jesus appeared to the eleven... As they said at meet, he said, that's all right, boys. I know it's hard to believe. This is an amazing thing. (laughs) So I'm not surprised that you couldn't get a hold of it. Huh? (laughs) You know, we all have our moments. But next time, no, what happened? What happened? What did Jesus do? He upbraided them. This is a strong word. This is stern rebuke. He upbraided them. Why? For their unbelief and for their hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Now you'd have probably rather not it happened this way because you're looking at the master. There he is. He's raised from the dead. And you want to just have a hallelujah time, but he's going to upbraid you first. I know a lot of people don't like this because in their mind, Jesus is not that way. People have recreated Jesus in their image. And they imagine he's like me. You know, we think we're just like this. And oh, I don't like that. That's, that's hard. And I just know he wouldn't be that way. No. He would give you a compliment first. And then couched in soft tones, he would say, oh, that's all right. Baby, I know it was a lot to take in. And you were grieving and you were upset. And I'm not surprised that y'all couldn't take it. But let's just all be happy now and hug and... Group hug. Come on, come on. (laughs) But that ain't what happened. Is it? He's looking at them. Their eyes are this big. Last time they saw him, he was dead. (laughs) And he said, why didn't y'all believe? Why didn't you believe the women? And then when the men came and told you, why didn't you believe them? 
A lot of people don't like this. But why would he do this? Because if they don't get this changed, it'll cost them in the days to come. Oh, can you see this? Because this is the one thing that can get you to a place where God himself can't help you. I know people don't like hearing that, but is it not this perpetual terminal hardness of heart there's no cure for? And they do not need to keep practicing this. They had opportunity to believe. They should have been tender hearted after all the stuff he told them. He told them it was going to be like Jonah. He quoted scripture to them. He showed them prophecy. And the first time they heard he's raised from the dead without any evidence, they already shouted. Well, he said he was. Quick to believe. But they weren't. And they were his friends. They were his staff. They were his followers. They weren't quick to believe. He upbraided them. He said, now guys, you can't do this. I know it may be not what they were expecting, but they're going, how many think they're seeing him raised from the dead for the first time? They're going, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Right. No more. Uh, sorry. Sorry, Jesus. We should have known better. Sorry. I'm going to say correctable. Say it again. Correctable. Correctable. We live in a society that has refused correction, rejected correction. They don't care if it's right or wrong if they don't like the tone you said it in. Hmm. No, that's not the Lord. They said it too hard. No, that's not the Lord. That can't be. What about it? Is it true? Oh, I don't know, but I just didn't like that tone. not an excuse to be harsh but the Lord knows what's important and some things are so important that you need a hey hey what are you doing what are you doing because if you don't get this changed oh you can wind up in a bad bad place what are you doing I know uh, brother Hagen Kenneth Hagin Sr. and Miss Aretha, who are both in heaven now. I'm so glad they've graduated. Excited about them. But one of the first times that Brother Hagin used me in a service and called me up and I did something. Praise God, it worked out pretty good, I guess. Fair. And uh, after the service, him, I'm, we're never forget it. We were in a civic center. It was a big meeting and we were on the side and, and they, both of them were saying, Keith, that was good. Well, that was the Holy Ghost. That was the Lord. And I said this dumb statement. I said, well, I, you know, I, I guess I'll get to it sooner or later because I had kind of looked for it and hunted for it before we found it. And they both just looked at me with piercing eyes and said, it better be sooner. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. <laughs> My compliment's gone and now I'm getting reproved. <laughs> but they're right. That lackadaisical attitude about seeking God and about getting it. Well, maybe we'll get it eventually. We'll get around to it somewhere. That is disrespectful. Some folks are not excited about this either. That's disrespectful, isn't it? I mean, you better give it your all right now. Get after it. If you didn't get it the first time, it shouldn't be because of lack of effort or intensity. You're not playing around, lording around. Yeah, we'll get around to it 
eventually. That's a heart problem. I said, that's a heart problem. And it's hardness if you get corrected and you go, well, what's the big deal? Well, get here and get get to it quick. Get right on it. Eh, whatever. That is a serious thing. That's the kind of thing that can anger the Lord and grieve him. I know that's not popular in today's society. We should have a heart quick to believe. Hmm? Quick to believe. Somebody says, glory to God, this amazing thing happened. You don't have to look at them and eye them suspiciously. Really? Do you have proof? It ain't your job to prove or verify anything. Do you believe God's that big? Do you believe he could do something like that? Then go ahead and shout. Go glory to God. Someone says, well, it turned out it never happened. Well, it could have. Glory to God. You're quick. I'm not talking about being gullible and easy to deceive. Just quick to believe. And then when you see you're wrong, quick to repent. Quick. Don't ramble around, think about it for three days and discuss it and debate it. No, no. How many remember Peter when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet? And he got to Peter and Peter said, oh, Lord, no, no. You will never wash my feet. And I, I think he meant well. He thought, oh, no, I should be washing your feet. No way, no how. Jesus looked at him and said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have a part with me. Did Peter said, let me think about this? <laughs> Come on, what, what did he say? He said, this is interesting. I, wow. I'm going to have to give this some thought. No. <laughs> that's a, people don't even notice that that's a problem. That is a wrong heart. That's a wrong heart. What did he say? Oh, God. No part with you? Please. Not just my hands, my feet, but my hands and my head. Give me a bath. <laughs> I'm your man. Wash me down. Because yeah? I want to be a part of you. How many know that's a good heart? That's a right heart. When you see you're wrong, don't wait two seconds. Say, oh, please, please, forgive me. How many said that is a 180? Isn't it? That's what repent is. Repenting is not crying and feeling bad. You can lay on the altar and cry all night long and feel bad and mope for two weeks and never even come close to repenting. What is repenting? Repenting is changing. Turning loose of one position you had, letting it go, repenting for it, and taking another one. Turning loose from that and grabbing the other. Turning around. Changing. Somebody say changing. Changing. Say it again, changing. Changing. Go to Proverbs 3, please. Who needs correction? You? You? You need correction? (laughs) Tell your neighbor, help him out. Look at him and say, You need to change. (laughs) Now you just received some correction. (laughs) What do you say to that? What do you say to that? (laughs) Well, let me ask you a question. Do you need to change? Or are you perfect right now just like you are? 
just where you sit right here, right now, tonight, have you already attained unto Christ-like perfection? Then do you just know in part? Which means there are parts you don't know. Which would mean, just by right of the ignorance of it, there's some conclusions you have and some assumptions you have and ideas you have that are just absolutely off the wall. And you don't even know that you don't know. Because you haven't received all the light, you haven't developed fully, you only know in part. And it's the parts we don't know that's the problem. So do you need to change? If you grow, you got to change. You need to change. Becoming more like him. I know I learned something valuable. When I was 10 years old, my dad put me in a martial arts school. They were old school. They were a spinoff of the founders in Okinawa. And we practiced on cement floors with no pads. (laughs) I still got the scars, <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I did. Uh, and uh, I know that sounds funny, but I did. And uh, the instructors, they'd come by and they're counting in Japanese and we're punching and we're kicking. And uh, at this point, I was, uh, yeah, I was 10. And then later on, this particular place uh, up through my teen years. And they would tell you, that's uh, straighten that stance out. And they'd reach over and, and they'd move your foot out a little bit and, and get that, get that knee over your toe and square your shoulders. And, and so if they told you like a time or two, uh, and you didn't fix it, uh, the next thing you would not hear, you would feel. <laughs> and there would come a real sweep. You'd feel a leg as it took your legs out from under you and you were pushed down on the uh, cement and you'd bounce. And here's the proper response. Thank you, sir. Because apparently you weren't getting it through audible instruction. So this is going to help to get your attention. And it served me well. Throughout my training with the master. Even something that's not what you would pick. Or not something maybe you want to deal with about yourself at the time. How many understand those he loves? He chastens. He corrects, right? And so even if it's something that don't feel good, something you don't like, how many know, why is he doing it? Come on, help me out. Why is he doing it? To make you feel bad? To make you look bad? Why is he doing it? Because he loves you and he doesn't want you to miss out. And he don't want you to come short. He wants you to develop fully so he can give you everything that he has for you. So he can use you in everything he wants to use you. And so when it comes, if you see it right, if you think about it, you'll say, oh, thank God. And even though it might hurt and smart a little bit, jump up and say, thank you, Master. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Even if your flesh is still hollering, I don't like this, and say, shut up. Nobody asked you. Proverbs 3, are you there? Yes, sir. <laughs> glory to God you know let me go a little bit further with this before I read this we talked about there are a couple of examples in the New Testament in Jesus life and ministry where he remarked about how great the person's faith was 
Now, he wasn't grieved. He wasn't angered. He was pleased. And I think you could even say impressed. Now, that's something. One of them was the Syrophoenician woman. Remember the other one? The centurion. Remember that? And do you remember how his faith was manifested? You have to put the accounts together to see this. But he didn't even go to Jesus personally. Representatives came from him of the Jewish people. And they were pleading on his behalf. Because he had done so much for them in their city and their synagogue. And they said would you please come and minister to, uh, to his family here. To his child. Because what is his servant or his son? Servant. servant thank you. His servant. And because um, he's done so much for us. And here's what he says through them. I didn't consider myself worthy to come to you myself and that you should enter my house. But he said, uh, just speak the word. Give the command, please. And I know my servant will be healed. Because I am a man who understands authority. I am under authority and I do what I'm told. And I got people under me and servants under me. And when I say go, they go. When I say do this, they do it. So if you'll just say it. And Jesus remarked, I hadn't seen faith like this. Was he impressed? How many know that we're told to endure hardness as good, not get hard, but endure it without getting that way. And to be, and the body of Christ, bless our hearts, we're sloppy. Our shoes are untied and unshined and our uniforms are misbuttoned and array. And the Lord says, do this or that. And we go, we're trying. But it's hard. We're doing the best we can. And I know you said we're healed, but I don't feel healed. And I know you said you'd meet our needs, but I don't. Where's it going to come from? And we just don't know, and it's so hard. I need a hug. being a good soldier that's being a little whiny baby wimp whiny baby you are to pop up shoes shine jacket button hair in place and go permission to be healed sir he says son you are healed by my stripes you say thank you sir and that's it that's it that's it That's it. That's it. That's it. You don't have to check your body. You don't have to get a report. You heard from headquarters. That's it. That's it. We need more discipline. Don't we? We need more self-control. We need more strength. And we need to be able to receive correction. The thing, well, let me read this to you, then I'll say that. Proverbs 3, are you there? 11. My son, what? Despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. What did he say don't do? Don't despise it. How many understand? You're seeing here. How people harden themselves. Aren't you? When correction comes, if you despise it, hardening is going on. And if you get weary of it, 
Somebody's talking and it's something you need. But you don't like the way they're saying it. And you've already had to be corrected in the same area for the last ten times. And you're just not happy about it at all. And you're tired of it. That's weary. Come on, can you see this? You're weary of it. And they're standing there and you're trying. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your pastor. Maybe it's whoever it is. And you're looking at them and and you're trying to keep a straight face. But in your mind you're thinking. (laughs) I wish you would shut up. That is despising what they're saying and what they're doing. And where are you going to find perfect people to correct you? Somebody needs to help me out a little more now. Where are you going to find people that absolutely would correct you in perfection every time? Their tone would never be too high or too low, too strong or too soft. They would always use exactly the right word at the right time and even pause at the right places so you could regain your... Where are you going to find these perfect people to correct you? The biggest problem with the people over you and me is that they're like us. Right? They're people just like us. And even though they're doing something that's right... They can do it wrong. Maybe they do need to correct you, but they ought to cool off before they do. And maybe they could have stopped ten minutes ago. Or maybe they could have done it a different way. But hey, they're like you. And the only reason you could say much is if you've never done anything like that. And you can't say that. So you, if you're wise, you'll cut some folks some slack on account of their flesh, knowing you need to sow mercy for your own. And not just seize upon this or that that you don't like, but have enough spirituality that you can hear the Lord in something, even if there's a lot of peripheral stuff that's not Him. Oh, come on, are you with me now? That you can see, well, you know, maybe all that wasn't exactly Him, but that is Him, and I did need to hear that, and I need to get on that and change that. Right? And just say, thank you, sir. Who needs this? Who needs this? You want your correction? <laughs> Listen, I ain't confessing that. <laughs> Let me say it another way. Verse 12. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let me say it like this. You want your love? Oh boy. Do you want your love? Then you want your correction. You want it. If I'm wrong, I want to know I'm wrong, don't you? I don't want to keep butting my head against the wall for ten years. Because I'm wrong. I want to see it. I want to, even if it makes me look bad. So be it. If it shows up some stuff that's humbling and humiliating. 
So be it. Let's get it. Let's get it done. Let's get it fixed. Let's get it behind us. Let's get it under the blood. Let's go on. If I need it, let's get it. Had the privilege of working in the healing school at Brother Kenneth Hagin's ministry for a number of years. So I studied healing and studied ministers, men and women that God had used powerfully in healing. I began to see a pattern. Great healing revival of the 50s and prior to that at the turn of the century and records that we have. And man, I mean, the more I, I got into it, I saw, boy, these men and these women, they have seen things I've never seen. And they, they've known things about God I've not experienced yet. And yet, again and again, these individuals missed God and died young. Died in midlife, was cut short or got off in their doctrine. Are got off in what they were doing. And many of them. Not just a couple of them. Many of them died prematurely. Died young. They got off. And I remember one day particularly. I had been studying this. And looking at it. And I began to realize. I thought these guys know more about God. Seems like than I do. And they couldn't keep from getting off. And I haven't seen half of what they've seen. How am I going to keep from getting off? Now see, if you think, oh, I'm smart, I won't get off, you're a fool. There's only one way you're going to be okay. That's by the mercy and grace of God. Oh, I won't, you know, I'll keep it straight, I'll keep it sorted, I'll know. There's only one way that can happen, and that's with the Lord's help. With His grace. Who does He give His grace to? And that's what He said to me. I, it was pressing on me so strong one day. I came in. I was, I was going to speak that afternoon. I fell down in the floor right on my face. I said, God, I don't see how I can be confident of not missing you and not getting off looking at these men and women and what they've known about you and how they got off. And I don't know a fraction of what they know. How can I keep from getting off? And I'm laying there weeping before the Lord. The Bible said, if you seek for him with all your heart. You'll find him. And he began to speak to my heart. I don't mean to heard an audible voice. But he did to bring up to my mind. He said son. Every one of these men and women that you're talking to me about. That you're bringing up to me. Every one of them. I warned them. I sent people to them. I tried to tell them. And show them what to change. And how to make it different. And they would not listen. How many believe that God is that good? That He every time, every time, He will tell you, He will talk to you. He said, son, I wrote it down, never forgot. Your humility is your protection from deception. You don't have to be concerned. You don't have to be frightened about this. If you will remain correctable and teachable I will help you you begin to get off I will speak to you I will show you he said you don't have to be concerned about that I am faithful I will show you the question is will you receive it and if you keep yourself such that you will receive it you will be kept safe you'll make it through your whole life And not get substantially off and get out of your place and miss your course. 
if you'll receive my correction. Oh, can you see this, friend? Do you believe that? Your humility is your protection from deception. Humility is correctable. When correction comes, pride makes excuses. Humility makes corrections, makes adjustments. So I'm confident. How I many know we've got to get in faith about this? I'm confident that Keith's going to make it. He says, what? Yeah, that's me. You have to believe this for you. I believe Keith is going to make it all the way. I'm going to run my race. The Lord tears is coming. I'll finish my course with joy. Oh, y'all are not helping me out enough here. Huh? Y'all are writing. Okay, I see. Writing. All right. You going to make it? Are you going to make it? And it's not because I think I'm so smart or that I know more than somebody else or that I have more faith in somebody. That's not it. I have faith in the faithfulness of a God who loves me. Who loves me and corrects me. Oh, come on now. If I begin to get off, he'll talk to me. I believe it. I believe, and if I'm not getting it, he'll crank up the volume. He'll say, Keith, hey, boy. That's wrong. Change it. And if I don't get it like that, he'll send somebody by me. And they'll come and say, hey, Keith, Keith. And if he needs to, he'll send three people by me. And they'll grab me at the same time and say, boy, change. Quit it. You got to get straight. And as long as I will be open and willing to receive it and go, wow, these are my elders. Wow, these are my friends. Wow, they got the Spirit of God. I better respect this. What's going on here? And put my nose in the carpet again and be willing to receive. How many understand? He will help me. I can get my correction. I can make my change and not go off the deep end and not be destroyed. Because who is it that gets destroyed? The one that often being corrected and reproved hardens his heart. And keeps saying, no, no, quit calling me about that. No, I know I've heard from God. No, I know. No, you're wrong. Leave me alone. Nobody talk to me anymore. Man, you can get yourself into a place where God himself can't help you. And all that remains from that is destruction. Somebody say, may it never be. Lord, help me to always be correctable. Hallelujah. Teachable. Correctable. Thank you, Lord. And you don't get to tell him who to use. It's kind of like people that are prejudiced about race. If you're thirsty and you need water and here comes a big cup of cold water, you're a fool if you look at it and go, I don't like brown cups. <laughs> but you're about to starve to death. Yeah, but I don't like brown cups. I only drink from white cups. You'll starve, I reckon. <laughs> right? I don't drink from red cups. You better humble yourself and know what difference does it make what color the cup is? The water is the same. Right? And friend, no matter who correction comes through, they may not be the denomination that you're fond of. They may not even believe in some stuff you believe in. 
But have enough sense to hear God when he's talking to you. To discern. It may be somebody that you never imagined God would use. I've seen this again and again. There's been times that God began to speak in a situation through a person. And I thought, oh, oh, no, no, that I know them. (laughs) And that can't be God. And I knew some stuff they had just pulled and some stuff they had just done. And so then I'd close my eyes and listen to it and think, no, that's the Holy Ghost. And I'd look and go, how can it be? (laughs) But it can be. I said it can be and you and I got to know God well enough to receive him no matter who, no matter who he's speaking through. No matter who, no matter how it's coming, receive it and even if it doesn't feel good and if it doesn't, you know, particularly make you happy, pop up and say, thank you, sir. I know you love me and I will get this right by your grace. Not going to think about it for 12 days and debate about it. Right now, right here, let's get it right. Let's get it changed. I know maybe this hadn't sounded like the most exciting thing to you, but I'm telling you, God's getting us ready. I said, He's getting us ready. And He doesn't want any of us left behind or disqualified. He doesn't want us missing out. And so in order to handle some things that he has planned for us, we got to make some adjustments. Because if you do uh, with that big thing what you've been messing up with the little thing, it's really going to cost you. You can really get in some situations where it's hard to make it right again. you got to get it right on these things. On where you are right now on the small things. You get it right on the small things, then you'll have it right on the big things. Stand up on your feet, everybody. Lift up your hands to the Lord. Just close your eyes. Begin to focus on Him. Say thank you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.